I would wake up, steal money, get drugs, and just repeat that cycle. And I was, dude, I would sit in my room. I can't even tell you how bad that time in my life was. I was, I, I was cutting myself. I've got like slashes on my arm. I've got a tattoo here now where it's covered. You can see over there. Like right. I was like properly knifing in my arm for attention because I was just so, I felt like so rejected and so by my, alone that I was doing anything for attention. Hey, this is Matt Cox. I am here with Joshua Rubin. He is a podcaster and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Recovering drug Recovering addict. Recovering drug addict. Documentary photographer. Documentary photographer. And all around good dude. And all around good guy <laughs> from South Africa. South Africa. He does his where research. In right? Where in South Africa? So I'm from Cape Town. Oh, from Cape Town in South Africa? Yeah. Um, really, bro? Like all the Cape Town stuff I ever see? You know, in the movies and stuff? Yeah. It looks rough. Cape Town's not bad. Um, this, the, the thing is, a lot of people come to Cape Town because of what they see online, right? right. You, you either see the good stuff or you see the bad stuff. It depends where you're looking. If you're looking on Instagram, you're going to see the good stuff. Right. And Cape Town is, I, in my opinion, it's probably the most beautiful city in the world. And anyone that goes there will tell you that. I know a lot of people that come from overseas to visit and they can't get over how beautiful it is. Right. When you live there, you start to notice the problems because Cape Town's got one of the highest murder rates in the world, right? Right. Uh, per 100,000 people. I think it was the highest murder rate in the world because of all the gangs and uh, a lot of people are living in poverty. But at the same time, that's all happening outside of the main city. So when you come for a holiday, well, the first thing you see when you land from the airport is a bunch of shacks. Uh, you know what shacks are? Yeah, of course, yeah. I've been to Mexico. So yeah, you see a bunch of shacks and townships. Townships are like squatter camps, basically, where people live. And as you land from the airport, that's what you drive through. It's the first thing you see. But then after about a few Ks, you know, a few miles, uh, you get to the city and there's Table Mountain, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. It's incredibly beautiful. It's this massive mountain in the middle of the city. And the beaches, they are phenomenal. The girls, they are incredible right and um it's the, the thing with cape town it's got everything it's got the beach it's got beautiful mountains in the middle of the city and outside the city um and it's got a lot of cool things to do there's the vineyards you go drink yourself silly if you wanted to um i it wasn't my cup of tea but a lot of people come there and uh don't want to leave because it's such a beautiful place and you were you were that's where you were born and raised i was born in zimbabwe Actually, you know, you know Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. So I was born in Zimbabwe. I've actually got a tattoo called that says "Made in Zimbabwe," and uh, I got that when I was like 15 years old. Right, that seems like a 15 year old thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> they were like, "What do you want?" And I was like, "Made in Zimbabwe." And they were like, "Why?" I was like, "Too many things are made in China." And <laughs> it was, yeah, it was silly. I regret it, but uh, it's it's funny. And uh, so I grew up in Zimbabwe until I was seven years old, and then my parents left because Zimbabwe just fell apart. Um, I mean, the corruption there was just so rife. And, right. you know, Robert Mugabe was president for like a billion years and uh, pocketing all the money, giving it to his family. And uh, I mean, his kids live in South Africa. They've got like Bugattis and like Lamborghinis and Ferrari. Like, right. Like he's he's doing that on a on a presidential salary of $200,000 a year. Exactly. Yeah. Like, how much <laughs> happens? How much are you making? It's like you would have to work for 100 years to afford that Bugatti Veyron right. as the president of Zimbabwe, right? Uh, so then, yeah, my parents left and moved to Cape Town when I was six or seven. But I mean, that's like, 
Zimbabwe is a country like they so they up and moved multiple like you you can just move like if I suddenly decided hey I want to move to Canada like I have to fill out paperwork yeah no I they they to. did they did everything um they wanted to move to Australia because that's where our other family was going okay and they got rejected because I think Australia they were pretty focused on getting people with like trade skills yeah because their people don't want to do hard labor and, and that kind of thing and they, you actually get paid quite a lot for for I mean if you're like an electrician or a plumber you get paid quite a decent salary there. So they wanted to go there, um, but they got rejected. And they well, ended why? up... Why? What do your parents do? At the time, they had a fabric store. Um, it was like a really big one in Zimbabwe, and it did really well. Um, but it just... It, there probably were other reasons as well, but they got rejected and ended up coming to South Africa, moving to South Africa. They actually lived in Florida as well uh, when they were younger. Okay. So they've moved all over the place. My brother was born in Florida, and uh, he's got an American passport. I've got a German passport, even though I'm from Zimbabwe. My dad's got a British passport. So this is like a mixed box of whatever, you know? Uh, yeah, mixed bag. Um, I was going to say uh, that, yeah, that's, that's that. The, you know, it's, it's funny, like, like there's some countries like, uh, like Australia's um, population, you know, 20 years ago was stagnant. And so I, I remember, like I, remember I told you I was going to go there, like mm -hmm. they were actively trying to get people with certain trades to come there. And they were giving you like two years and three years tax exemption. Like you don't have to pay taxes. If you come here yeah. and you have this trade and you get a job in that trade, you don't have to pay taxes for two years because they were actively trying to grow their population. Um, that's why I was asking, like, uh, I wonder. Yeah, it might've been another reason, but for some reason they got rejected. Okay. Um, and I, I was talking about how beautiful Cape Town was and the, the other, the other part of it is obviously the high murder rates and we've got one of the worst gender-based violence, uh, statistics in the world as well. Um, and the, the thing with South Africa is, is a big problem with gangs. Um, and a large portion of that murder rate comes from a very small, small, small part of the population so there's these during apartheid there was different settlements for different races white people had their own you know places they could stay uh, black people stayed in things called townships and colored people stayed in like very rough neighborhoods right you were explaining earlier that you know like in the u.s if you said colored people that's blacks but in south africa mm -hmm. colored people are people that are mixed yeah and i think my auntie was saying it's quite a derogatory derogatory term, term in here, america yeah. colored yeah. yeah so i'm not being racist in south africa that's they are called colored people and that's that's what they call so it's not a, a racial slur or anything but um in the colored neighborhoods there's a lot of gang violence and um because during apartheid what the government did was there was this this there was this program where they basically and i might get a few facts wrong but they were funneling drugs through those neighborhoods and they were just letting them kill kill themselves, basically. Right. And the cops wouldn't come to stop a fight. They would come after the fight um, because they they didn't care. Right. They weren't about to risk their life to stop a fight between people in those areas. Right. So they just let them kill themselves. So what are the, what why why what the gangs you're saying? What are the gangs trading in? Like the gangs aren't just like they're not like a club. Like they're they're tr they're they're connected for a reason to sell drugs, to sell guns, to sell like what's the mm. specific reason? Yeah. So I've worked with a lot of gangs. That's one of the things that I do on my podcast. When I started the podcast, I was like, I don't want to interview celebrities. I want to interview. You know when a documentary is made, 
I don't want to interview the person or a movie when a movie is made. I don't want to interview the person portraying someone else. I want to interview the person that that actor is portraying. Right, right. So that's kind of what I'm doing in America as well. I'm talking to people like you and uh, Tim and Mike and um, what was the question? Um, uh, it, it was, I was saying with gangs, like, what, like, like, what are they like, the, like the mob, the it's, mob, it's is, mainly you know, drugs. Oh, it's, it's mainly drugs. Okay. It, it's mainly drugs. And, uh, I was going to say back to your point, like, yeah, cause in, in my opinion, like, you know, you know, <laughs> truth, like, like truth is stranger than fiction. Right. Like, I yeah. mean, I, I can't tell you, I mean, I'd like, I would be interviewing somebody in prison and they would say something and I would just be like, this is insanity with mm-hmm. this. Like there's no movie. There's no even like, oh, this is kind of like the scene in that movie. Like, no, no, this is insanity. What you just said, I have never heard anything close to as bizarre as what I'm writing right now. Yeah. Like, you just can't make it up. Like, some of the things mm-hmm. that people say, the things that happen, you're like, that's not, like, that's insane. Yeah, but to answer your question, it's a lot of the time it's drugs and the actual gangsters never make the money. It's always people higher up that make yeah. the money. But a lot of the gang members that are on the streets doing the crimes. Uh, they go to jail. They get shot. Basically, yeah. And they end up living in poverty the rest of their life or just dying. Um, the, the other thing is a lot of these gang members are very wild cannons because they often grew up in very unstable homes um, or their parents had a drug problem while they were pregnant. And these people, a lot of them have severe mental illnesses a lot of them don't go to school um so yeah it's it's a wild place to be and um i am a photographer documentary photographer and i started working with these guys a lot and eventually after taking photos of them and talking to them i thought let me start a podcast and that's how i started interviewing the gangsters but i started working with gangsters when i was like 16 years old right uh, when i was very young there was a, a how, big, how old are you now 26 oh yeah you're so, an old man now i'm a yeah I'm a I'm an elderly person, <laughs> but um there was this way back then yeah when I was 16. Well, for me that's more than it's almost half my life. <laughs> but um so when I was 16 years old I started working with the gangs because there was a my dad was working in an area called Woodstock in Cape Town, and there was a fire that broke out. It was in 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 South Africa. There's often like in the middle of the city you'll just see a small squatter camp, and there was this derelict building, this old rundown building. And there was gang members and just normal people living there as well. But it was predominantly gang members. And the area that my dad was working in, his building was right next to the squatter camp. And there was a fire there. And I went to go check it out and help. Me and my auntie went and brought some food and stuff because everything was gone. And I just started talking to the people. And it was so interesting. Um, And their stories were like insane. I'm sheltered. I'm a little white kid from a suburb, a good suburb. And I had never heard stories like this from these people. Um, and I just kept going back and visiting them and for years. I mean, I, I known these people for years. Um, and some, there's some crazy stories I can tell you with them that happened, but, uh, yeah, that's how I started working with gangsters. That was my first experience with it. Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, It's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. Well, so who, I mean, so you're going back. Are you, what people are you going to see? Like you're just going and hanging out or do you go and see like that? Like you go see 
you know, the certain person. Like yeah, so there was to. this one person, I'm not going to say her name, but there was this one lady that, that I would always go to. She was like the mother figure of the whole place. And she would make sure that I was safe. Uh, she ended up robbing me several times. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is my victim. Yeah, basically, I'm going to coerce this guy. For, but it was for years that this was happening, um, that I was going to see her before this happened. Um, but there was very crazy people. I mean, people have said to me in my face that they're going to kill me in that, in that little squatter camp. And the, I'll tell you a story. So this lady that I would always go to see, right? The one day I went to see her, and I was doing interviews and she said, there's some really cool guys down the road in another little squatter camp that you can interview. I said, cool, let's go. And uh, she takes me there. She's obviously desperate or something's up with her at this point that I didn't know. But she takes me to these guys and I'm taking photos, taking videos. And um, this guy walks up to me and he, he grabs my leg and he starts kneeing me in the leg, right? Like, and he was like, if someone tries to rob you, this is how they're going to do it. This is how they're going to rob you. Right. Because when people pickpocket you, they often do something else to you so that you don't notice that you're being pickpocketed. Right. Right. So this guy was kneeing me in the leg saying, if someone comes up to you, I'm trying to help you here. If someone comes up to you and starts kneeing you in the leg, they're probably trying to rob you. So I was like, that's really interesting. And did he just rob you? Five minutes later, I'm walking away with this girl that I always go there to see. I'm like, thanks for taking me. Put my hand in my pocket and my phone's gone. I don't remember what the guy looked like that did it to me. Right. Right. So I, was, I said to her, my, my phone's gone. And sh she starts freaking out. And she's going crazy um, at, this, at all of these guys. Because there was a whole bunch of different guys there. Um, she was like, who took the phone? Tell me right now. She was like, Josh, I'm going to get this phone back. And she starts crying and screaming. And I'm like, this is wild. It's just a phone. I don't, you, you know, I want it back, but I don't, I don't care that much. Right. Um, and... Eventually, I just said, I've had enough of this. She was screaming and terrorizing everyone for about half an hour. And I had enough of this. So I went home. And uh, 12 o'clock that night, I get a call from her. She got my number. I got a call from her and she said, I found your phone. And, I, and she said, I know where it is. Do you want to come get it? 12 o'clock at night. I know where it is. No. Right? <laughs> Go get the phone. Yeah, no, no, no. But I was young. Right. You know, I just got my license. I was able to go late at night and I got in my car. I was still living with my parents at this time. And I just remember shaking. I was just like, it's a dangerous place to go. Yeah. These are dangerous people. Um, but during the day, it's a bit safer to go. But I went there 12 o'clock at night, midnight, and I just shook the whole way there. And when I got there, she says to me, your phone isn't here. The guy that stole it sold it to a bouncer at one of the clubs in town. And I believe this, dude. I was so naive. Um, and I was like, okay, let's, let's go get it. And she was like, but you need to buy it back from him because. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He's paid the guy that robbed you. 
for the phone. So he needs to make his money back. Right. So I'm like, cool, that's whatever. That's reasonable. You know, it's an expensive phone. So if I have to pay a little bit to get it back, it's fine. So we get in the car, she gets in the car, and then a kid jumps in the car as well, like a little girl and another older lady, like a, well, mid-40s maybe. And we start driving. And these are gangsters, eh? She's like the kingpin gangster of this place. And we're driving there, and about 10 minutes into the drive, she starts screaming her head off and freaking out. She's saying, Josh, you need to turn back. We need to go home. Josh, we need to go home right now. And I said, what's wrong? And she was like, she wasn't responding to me. She just said, kept saying, we need to go home. She What, she started to think about it? No, no, no. She just kept saying, we need to go home. And I was like, what for? And she was like, Josh, just turn around. So eventually I turn around and she's crying and screaming. And I say, what is wrong? Right? She's irrational. She's also a big drug addict, so right. extremely emotional. And I say, what's wrong? And she goes, the drugs are in the toilets. So she's been holding drugs for a drug dealer and keeping them safe in her uh, messed up building in the toilet. And she said, if someone gets up and goes to the toilets, they're going to flush and it's going to go. And what, it just dawned on her? She just dawned on her. So anyway, we're on our way home. It's the most, it sounds ridiculous, but this is exactly what happened. No, well, I mean, drug addicts, they forget things. Yeah. Jess is like, they they would lose dope all the time. Like, where's, but you've got it. You stole it from me. It's like, you you actually just put it down. You would think you would hide it in the top of the toilet or something. But I think she had stuffed it in the pipe. Like if you flush it, it's gone basically. Right. So she starts freaking out. We get home, she sorts it out. And um, she, she, yeah, she, she basically sorts it out. We get back in the car, start driving to town again to go to this club to get my phone back. And we get there, I go withdraw the money, I give it to her. Um, she says, well, she, she said, give it to me. You must stay here because um, this guy only wants to deal with me or something. And I'm young, dude. Like, and I keep saying I'm naive. I was so naive. I gave her the money and she goes into a, an abandoned building in the middle of town, right? This is like a Monday. There's no clubs open. Right. And she goes into this building. She comes out screaming again, saying she got robbed now. She just pocketed the money and took it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how I got robbed twice in one day. Um, <laughs> and uh, on the way home, she's crying again, saying, I'm so sorry, Josh. You know, we've known each other for years. I really apologize. Um, and uh, I'm there consoling her <laughs> uh, uh, after getting robbed twice. Yeah. So you, get, you got a new phone. I got a new yeah, phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to get home at two o'clock in the morning after that happened and go to sleep. It was just wild. It was wild. So what happened after that? How old were you? I was probably 18 at the 18. time at that point because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember I just got my license. Right. Um, you have to be 18 to get your license? In South Africa. Well, you you 17 to get your, your, your learners. Right. And then 18 to get your full-on driver's license. Right. Here uh, it's 15 and then 16 you get your... Yeah, see, that's for like motorbikes in South Africa. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, but going back a bit... I think also part of the reason I was so naive and just run and gun and just did all these impulsive, well, did that kind of thing. I mean, lots of stuff like that happened to me. I got robbed. I'll tell you just now about another robbery story. was because I was a big drug addict as well. Right. And uh, I was going to say, part of the reasons you've got to be going back to this area is for drugs, right? Like I never really bought drugs from them. I never never bought drugs from them. Because it was always stepped on stuff. Right. Um, And uh, I... I was yeah. say, no, it was, I'm an upper class drug addict. No, their stuff was like 
right. really bad. Right. But I did drugs with them a few times because yeah. I wanted to try it out. And I was smoking out of a broken bottle neck and like going home to my parents after doing a thing called tuk, which is like speed. I don't know what, what the equivalent here is. It just makes you f- messed up, basically. Like, like meth. meth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I was very young, I just, I did that with them. But then, I mean, going back a few years, I started taking drugs when I was very young. Uh, I mean, I started drinking when I was like 12 or whatever. Right. But I started, I, I think the first time I ever did like cocaine, I was like 14, which is probably not that young. I mean, I think there's quite a lot of people. The, the thing about my story is not unique. It's pretty relatable, I think, because everyone knows a drug addict. Right. Everyone has someone in their family, probably, that suffers from addiction in some form. Um, so it probably wasn't that young. I know people that started at nine years old. Right. But... um. Yeah, I started doing drugs at a very young age because I just felt like I was an outsider. I never felt like I fitted in. I always did badly at school. Um, I mean, I was terrible at school. And when you're a kid, that's like all you know. Right. All you know is school. Right. Um, and if you fail that, you feel that you've failed everything. Um, and I failed grades and I was, yeah, I was held back and I was always in trouble. And so I started doing drugs. And when I started doing drugs, people accepted me as their friend because when you have something to offer right. and especially when you're young if you're doing drugs people see you as like a badass yeah yeah you know i went to like a jewish school <laughs> i was like this like crazy kid with tattoos and drugs all, all the time um so yeah i started doing drugs back then and uh before i went into rehab the first time i mean i was doing roofies at school you know what roofies are the date rape drug yeah 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 uh um it, what did they got md mdma in that's ecstasy. That's like liquid ecstasy. I'm not great with it. It's like a benzo. It's what you use if you want to knock someone out and basically assault them. Okay. So I was taking those for fun and I was taking those at school. I was like, I looked at my friend and was popping in my mouth and like laughing. I was doing lines in the classroom next door. Right. And uh, it just got out. Of, I mean, I was riding off cars. I had like seriously bad car accidents. Luckily, I never got physically hurt. But the one, the one time I was um, driving home from... This was slightly after school. I was driving home from college and uh, I hit a tree. I hit a, I hit a car, deflected over an electrical box and hit a tree. I was going 120, like probably like 80 miles an hour. Right. Um, so I'm trying to do the math because in South Africa we use kilometers. Right. But things were out of control. I mean, I was stealing my parents blind because I wasn't working. Yeah. Um, and uh, it kind of culminated when I was about 16, I think, when I went to... Cambodia for a, a holiday to visit my family because I had an uncle and auntie, the one from Australia, moved to Cambodia for a few years. Who moves to Cambodia? Yeah, like, I why, what I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, Cambodia? No, they're 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 like adventurous people. They 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 move around. They do this and that, and they. I mean, I'm I'm not going to talk about their relationship. I, 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 <laughs> Cambodia, I'll, I think of Cambodia, I just think of super, super skinny little people. Like, I'd be a giant in Cambodia. Um, no, I don't think so. No? No, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're massive, but they're not small. They're not tiny. But, um, so, yeah, they, they, they moved to Cambodia, and we, we, we went there on holiday. Um, and me and my brother went there on holiday. My Listen, brother's- in, in, in Jamaica, I'm a giant. In Jamaica? I, in Jamaica, I'm sorry. In, 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 um, in Mexico, they like the average height down there was like five foot two. I'm I'm massive in, in, in Mexico. I should move to Mexico. I'm, exactly. Yeah, right? Like, I'm like pushing short, people yeah. around there. It's like, hey, watch it. You know, <laughs> I could be a bouncer in Mexico. 
<laughs> you got the muscles for it. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But uh, yeah, so we went on holiday and my brother's the complete opposite of me. He's a straight edge, really good guy, very decent guy, um, plays by the rules, works hard, you know, has a Ugh, kid now. One of those guys. He's a good guy. I love my brother. So we never had a good relationship at the beginning when I was on drugs, but we do now. But um, so we were there together with my auntie and uncle and my cousins. And I think I was 16 at the time. I also lose dates sometimes. So, um, And the first day we got there, we were with my auntie and uncle. My cousins hadn't arrived yet. My uncle says, you guys should order a massage to the room. We were like, that's a good idea. You know, we've been nice. sitting. That's a good uncle. We've been sitting on a plane. What kind, for, of, what kind of massage are we talking about? Well, this is it. We were sitting on a plane for ages, right? And we we're like, yeah, my back's sore. We can get a massage. And, uh, and he's thinking. My uncle's like, yeah, you definitely get a massage. So we get back to the hotel. It says 24-7 massages. We're like, oh, convenient. So we order a massage. <laughs> Me and my brother are in the same room. And uh, next thing, two prostitutes walk into the room. And we uh, get, yeah. I was going to say, the really, the really good massage parlors, they already have the condom in their mouth when you walk in. <laughs> But me and my brother just wanted a massage. Right. <laughs> You're like, hey. Yeah. I was need my back rub. I was an insecure kid and my brother was not about to sleep with a prostitute. Uh, and neither was I really. I've never slept with any prostitutes. I've never paid for anything. Uh, even in Amsterdam. But um, so we were so, so so we were sitting there and these two prostitutes get on the bed, sit on our pillows, like they bums on our pillows and they put our head in between their legs and start like touching us a little bit. And they're like waiting for the signal. And right. me and my brother just keep looking at each other fucking laughing. And we ordered an hour massage. We got about 15 minutes and they're on their phone the whole time touching us with their pinky. But uh, as the, the trip escalated, my cousins arrived and um, I... Did you tell them, you got to get a massage? No, they know. They know. That's why they come. What do you think? Um, <laughs> and uh, so they, they get there and my cousins are pretty heavy drug addicts um and at this point i was doing drugs but i mean i was doing cocaine i was doing rohypnol i was doing all i was doing all that kind of right. stuff but um they were doing heroin and i clocked on to this like as they got there they went bought something and i was like what's this right and they knew i did drugs so they were f- foolishly probably they were like it's heroin so at 16 years old i'm in the middle of cambodia tried heroin for the first time and we were snorting it. So it's very hard to regulate how much you're getting into your system at one time. Um, Especially, I didn't know you could do too much. Like I was just like, whatever I took before that, I was fine. I just kept putting drugs in and I was always fine. Um, But if if you take a little bit too much heroin, you get really sick um, very quickly. Like it's almost instant throw up. Um, And I got very, very sick. But I just, I was like, this is amazing. Because you get so sick, but you don't care because you're so comfortable. They always say like with heroin, you can sleep on a bed of nails. You'll be comfortable. Right. Um, because it's just that, I don't want to say it's amazing, but at the beginning when you first try it, it's amazing. It's a right. euphoric feeling. So I knew, my cousins knew I had a bad addiction problem when I wouldn't let them control the heroin. I wanted to control it. So I started going buying it myself. Um, and... Uh, me and my brother were getting money from my parents. They were giving us money for the trip. And I just kept saying to Daniel, my brother, I need some money. I want to go buy a fucking gong or something. I bought some gongs and some hashish pipes or whatever. Um, and I just kept buying heroin. I mean, I, I spent three weeks in Cambodia just absolutely doing nothing else. I mean, the one night we were on a overnight bus 
And have you ever been on an overnight bus? No. It's the worst thing ever. Uh-huh. In Cambodia, it's the worst thing ever because basically what it is, it's a normal bus, but instead of sitting, you're lying down, right? So there's an aisle in the middle. Mm-hmm. On this side, there's two levels and they're, they're cut in half. So people are sleeping on top of you. People are sleeping underneath you, okay. right? And it's two people in each section, in each bunk, basically. Right. Um, and me and my brother were staying together and my cousins were staying in front of us. And this bus was packed. There was bags everywhere. It was overloaded. They couldn't fit all the bags underneath the bus. It was tight. And they don't have a toilet. They only stop once in like 12 hours for a toilet break or once or twice. And it's like really uncomfortable. It's hot, awful. And uh, me did and- they, Did they have you handcuffed? And chain, uh, chain to your waist and have your ankles chained? No. Oh. But it was like... Different you, experience than you, I had. On yeah, yeah, slightly. But you couldn't like... Sit. I was uncomfortable too, though. Just saying. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bit more. Because yeah, I well, knew I could get off and walk away and go yeah, home. No, yeah. yeah. No, I could, but the, there's the guy with a shotgun that would that would shoot me in the back. Yeah. See, I, I didn't have that. But no. we, So basically, me and my brother were staying here together. There was a bathroom, but go ahead. Not on my bus though, yeah. So we were sitting together and then my cousins were right in front of us in the next bunk and um, we were doing heroin on the bus. And like, like I said, if you do a bit too much, you just start throwing up everywhere. So we were all getting sick in that one bunk and uh, I mean, you could start getting the cold shivers and like, it was just, it was the, probably the most, the worst bus ride I've ever had in my life or just transportation experience I've ever had. Um, and then when I got back from Cambodia, uh, I went straight to rehab. Um, did you tell your parents that you were going to, or you just, no, no, my parents put me in rehab. Oh, okay. I mean, I was a baby. The thing was with me is I was like a lot of people, I was very immature. Um, I, I was immature until I was like 23, um, because of the drugs, I never had to grow up. I never right. accepted any responsibility. I never did any of that. So my parents babied me for a long time and they're like amazing people. And I always say like, I know I talk about these stories, I laugh and, but like the same thing with you, what you did to your parents, I traumatized my parents and they always stood by me. Um, So even though I'm laughing and telling these stories as a joke, there's obviously, it's for storytelling, you know? Right. He's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious vaccines have been created for it he is the most interesting man in the world i don't typically commit crime but when i do it's bank fraud stay greedy my friends support the channel join matthew cox's patreon but uh, so when i got back from cambodia i went straight into rehab for the first time um it was also it was, i think i was 16 still it just got back from cambodia and uh in the rehab, I mean, I was a baby. I just went nuts. Um, we were fucking smoking gel out of a Coke can. We would, I mean, it was like a summer vacation for kids. And I only got worse from there. Um, yeah. And then literally the day I got out, I went home and started smoking and using drugs again. So it, d- it didn't help at all. How old were you then at this point? 16. 16? Yeah. So what, so this goes on back and forth for the next few years and what did you do you end up did you go to college you said you went to college yeah then it, it escalated from there uh, i just got i mean with with addicts you never get better unless you really stop and right. take some time and reflect or 
get clean completely like I have. But uh, so from there, I um, just got worse and worse. I dropped out of school um, and did not know what I was doing. I also met a girl during that time who I like, I had never really been with anyone at that point. And she was like my dream girl. She was beautiful. And she was like the sweetest girl ever. And she was just like, she was everything. She was like the perfect girl for me. And I just like fall madly in love with her. Um, and yeah, we started using drugs together, like a lot of drugs. I mean, the presents we would get each other, some people would come up and give boyfriend a rose or a girlfriend a rose. Right. She would bring me a bag of cocaine. And that's like how it was. It was like, ooh, good, she's home, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it just got worse. I, I left school and uh, I started studying. I didn't go to college. I went to like a... Technical school? What, no, what, what were you I, studying? I studied photography. Okay. I studied photography. I was just like, this is the only thing I'm good at. Um, so me, that's not college. You don't consider that college? Maybe it's college, but I don't get any like certificate. I get me like a little certificate. Right, I that, don't get like a, a diploma like, or we anything. Would, yeah. We would call that a technical school. Okay. Yeah. But in the US, you have a, that would really <laughs> fall under photography in, in a university. Um, but you're saying there, they actually have a, a technical school. That's for photography. No, I think it's just like a. I think it, you think it was just some. It's, courses pro- it's probably took? a college. Yeah, I think universities where you get like diplomas. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, when it comes to education, I'm useless. Like okay. I never, even when I when I went to study, I never paid hey, attention. Uh, I did really well though because so I you was, took some courses. Well, it was a two year. I studied for two years. Okay, so um, like a, here that would be like a community college. Okay. Yeah, it's probably like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I did really well because I was I'm pretty good at what i do right um because you're passionate about it and i'm passionate about it yeah yeah. but i would never show up for class i would always like um they just give you an assignment i did whatever i felt like doing and i gave it to them and at the end of the day it's just your portfolio at the end of the year that you get marked the most on so i had a good portfolio Uh, so i did well and uh when i got out of college yeah i just didn't know what to do again i started doing jobs and stuff and um there was this, I started, I started working for just like random people doing little photo shoots here and there. And this, I, I remember the one day I was like, so lost. I reached, I think I reached out to this one guy and I said, can I shadow you? I want to come just work with you on a job, see what you're doing, see how you do it. And, um, and this is a photographer or yeah, photographer. Yeah. When you say photographer, you mean for video or just no, photos? Fill, like, photos shots? Yeah. So I went to go shadow him. We went like out of town to this beautiful uh, vineyard, um, like a wine uh, place where they make wine. And they had this amazing building there that they did for weddings. And the, the, it was like a, you could stay there as well for overnights. And um, the place was run by, we have like a MasterChef South Africa, you know, MasterChef Australia. You know, the cooking show in Australia. Oh, okay. Like MasterChef. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I slur, but... <laughs> no, it's all right, sorry. But um, so the, the chef there was the guy from MasterChef. So it was like a really high-end place. And I'm like staying here for free because I'm shadowing this, this photographer. And um, we go to bed and I like sneak into the kitchen and I brought a bit of cocaine with me and I got really fucked up. Um, I got really, really hammered and drank all the alcohol in, in the kitchen and all the leftovers that the, the, the chef had made for everyone. Uh, and I ended up like completely missing the whole day of photo shoots the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- things got super bad. I think it was at its worst point. Uh, th- another time, like I-, I would sit in my room all the time. I would never really leave my room um, towards the end of my using days uh, unless I went to like see a friend every now and then or I went to like a festival or 
whatever, go take some photos. Right. And I would sit in my room by myself for a long time. Usually with addicts and people with addiction, it starts out that it's a fun social thing. Yeah. But the worse you get a lot of the time, the more isolated you get because you start burning bridges. People don't want to hang out with you anymore. Um, and a lot of the time you just don't want to share your drugs. Right. Um, so you just get the drugs and that's enough. That's like all you need. And I would wake up, steal money, get drugs, and just repeat that cycle. And I was, dude, I would sit in my room. I can't even tell you how bad that time in my life was. I was, I, I was cutting myself. I've got like slashes on my arm. I've got a tattoo here now where it's covered. You can see over there. Like right. I was like properly knifing in my arm um, for attention because I was just so, I felt like so rejected and so by my, alone that I was doing anything for attention. Um, and uh, I was doing like crazy stuff in my room. I, I turned my whole room into a jungle. I, I went to the nursery and bought plants, like little, not little, like to the roof kind of plants, like four or five of them. And I took my bed out, put a tent there. Um, I swear to God. And then I took the gong, you know, the gong like dung yeah. from Cambodia, put it in the tent. So if someone wanted to, Say hello, ring the gong. Um, I got a guinea pig, a hedgehog, a rat, and uh, a bunny rabbit. Put them in the room, and they would always jump in the plants and throw the the dirt everywhere. I got ground plants. I had like shit all over the walls. And your parents were? <clears throat> I don't know what they were. I was gonna say I, that that would. I know. broke them down over so many years. Right. Well. At that point, probably a few years of active addiction. So they were just used to me being batshit crazy. Right. Um, and I would just stay in my room all the time. And uh, like, I would, like, another thing I did was I made a tattoo gun um, out of a, a drill motor. You know, you like do those homemade tattoo guns like stick and poke. I yeah. decided to make a real tattoo gun yeah. out of a drill motor and a ruler and a guitar string with a pen. You fish the pen through the, the, yeah. the, I mean, you fish the guitar string through the pen. And, uh, this thing was like, gah, 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 gah. so when you're like tattooing yourself, it hurts. And I tattooed my leg and I used pen ink to tattoo myself with, which is not good for you. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. I mean, that's how they do it in, in prison. They use the, uh, the shavers. They take the bat, the little motor out of a, an electric shaver and they do the same thing with the pen and the, and the needle, the guitar mm. needle, the whole thing. But, but this, it doesn't hurt. It's not like it's not like it's going to hurt you. I mean, this thing was basically a draw. Yeah, that's yeah, that's insane. with a pointy thing on the end. And um, I tattooed my leg and my flesh went gangrene and it fell out. I tattooed a TV on my leg uh, and an arrow going down. A TV. Yeah, a TV. Uh, for who knows what reason. And then half an umbrella stopped halfway. I don't know why. And an arrow going down. And my thinking was at the time was I was like, this is, I can't really get much lower than this for me. That's how I felt. And I put the arrow going down and I was like, when, when things turn around, I'll get the arrow going up. Uh, yeah, but that arrow is gone now. It's just rotted away and I had to go to the hospital. I, I waited like two weeks before going to the hospital. Eventually my friends saw my leg and they were like, what is going on with your leg? It's the flesh had eaten out. I mean, you, you can't see it that much now. Oh, it's on the wrong, it's the wrong foot, but it's, all, it's on the side. <laughs> but uh, it's like the flesh literally fell out. The, the doctor couldn't believe what she was seeing. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. She'd never heard of someone doing that to themselves. Um, so yeah, it, it got really bad. And then it, it turned into getting arrested. I kept getting arrested. Uh, the, the first time I was at a festival, 
with some friends, and I had taken like seven rohypnol, the the, the roofies. Right. Um, and like one of them is enough to knock a normal person out, but I was taking them all the time, and I was driving on them. I was really bad. Um, and I had taken like seven rohypnol, cocaine, weed, alcohol, and I was so messed up. And this, I was sitting at, by my tent at this festival, and this police officer starts walking towards me, or like a security for the place. Um, and he starts walking towards me, and I was so messed up that I didn't even put the bong down. And it's, it was legal right. in South Africa. So I didn't even put the bong down when he came to talk to me. And I was talking to him with the bong, and he said, stand up. And I stood up, and there was a bunch of drugs underneath my bum. I was sitting on them. So they arrested me, and I was crying, and I was being a baby. Because uh, I was so messed up. I was just like, I just want like, to stay at my t-. You know what I mean? I didn't want right. to move. So they took me to the police station and put me in a cell. And uh, I was so gone that when my parents came to see me, I didn't register that it was them. I couldn't, I saw them, but I couldn't, it, my brain wasn't putting it together that it was my parents. So I stood up and I looked at them like a zombie and just lay back down again and went to sleep. And they said to them, you can keep him. So they just left me there uh, for the night and then came the next day when I was sober. Um, and then, I mean, it just got worse and worse and worse from there. And the, the second time I got arrested was, uh, I was in, uh, I was went out with my friends and we were all doing drugs and my friend got into a fight. So the police were like watching the streets at that point. Um, and then I was, I was going to get some drugs and then go home. So I, I ordered some cocaine, got the cocaine. And then I was like, okay, bye guys, I'm going. They're like, no, 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 come to the car. We'll do a few lines and then you can go. And I was like, okay. So we went under to this underground parking lot and we were sitting in the, in the car and, uh, the, the police, come down and uh, we see them and I drop the cocaine in the car. Um, they, they saw me drop it as they were walking towards us and they were like, get out of the car, everyone on their knees, put your hands up against the car. And we started doing this. And this is within like six months of my previous arrest. So I was still going to court for the other one. Right. Um, and if you get arrested, like I was trying to get off with nothing for the right. first one. It was a minor thing. It was a bit of drugs that they found me with. So I was like, if I get arrested again, I'm going to get a criminal record. I've got a German passport. It's not going to, you know, I didn't want to risk losing it. I didn't want to have a criminal record, basically. So I sat there, or I was kneeling against the car with three or four of my friends. And I was like, I'm leaving. And I just got up and sprinted. (laughs) And I remember hearing the cops say, we'll get him. And I could... I couldn't see my friends, but I could just imagine their face was, (gasps) (laughs) that motherfucker just left his drugs and alcohol and he's running away. And I ran up out of the parking lot, down the street, and I could hear cops, the the sirens start to come. So I jumped over this person's uh, fence in their house. And um, now I'm sitting in someone's garden, basically. And it was a small garden. The curtains were closed. Lights were on. I could see the shadows. So there was people in there. But when I try to jump back over the fence or the the, the wall, um, sometimes walls are higher from one side than the other side. Right. Right. So on the one side, it wasn't that high, but in their garden, I couldn't get back up and I was messed up. So like, I just, I couldn't get up. Um, but there was a shed in the garden and like, I'm trying to step on a plastic table to get on top of this shed and the plastic table is like buckling. And I'm scared about the people inside finding me in the garden, like trying to scramble over the the wall right so i get on this table and get on the shed 
and then I get end up on their roof. So they've got like these tiles on their roof and I'm like treading on these little tiles like a monkey trying to like keep quiet. And uh, the cops are flying by and everything. And I just ordered an Uber, got in the Uber and went home. So the, the Uber didn't realize, but he was taking a fugitive right. at the bottom. <laughs> but yeah, it, it got really bad. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. And then- So at what point do you clean up? Yeah, so- I was lying in bed the one day and like my parents were so finished with me at this point. Um, I was lying in bed and I, th- I think it was this day. It was, I would sleep the whole day, get up often late in the afternoon, get drugs, stay up the whole night, do the same thing again. And I went, I was awake the whole night using drugs, went to bed at like eight in the morning and then I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I went to my parents' room and I said, dad, why aren't you at work? He's like, why aren't you at work? He was like, Josh, it's 8 p.m. at night. Because I thought it was still dark. I was like, right. oh, I woke up early. You know, I was like dazed. And I thought it was the morning. And he was like, Josh, it's 8 p.m. You slept the whole day. Um, and often when my parents try to wake me up, like my mom went to Australia on a holiday to visit my cousins and my auntie. She would shake me. and she, It was like I was dead. Because I would not wake up no matter what she did. She would scream, shake me. It was like a lifeless body. Right. So it just got to a point where I was like, I need to, my dad said, do you want to go to rehab? And I said, please. Um, And I went into rehab and I screamed and shouted the whole way. I wanted to go, but I was so manic that um, it just, even though I wanted to do it, I was just like, I need to get out of here. You you get in, you want to escape. And uh, the, in, in South Africa, I don't know how it works here, but there's like a primary, secondary and tertiary thing where you start in primary and it's like you don't you can't use your phone or anything of that nature you can't have much communication with the outside world your your parents can visit you sometimes right. but um it's you're pretty closed off and i was so crazy in, in that time i mean i was i don't know why but i was hitting the punching bags so hard and doing it in a way that it would rip the skin off my 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 uh, knuckles and they just bleed everywhere um, and I would go sit at sessions with my knuckles bleeding and like the, 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 my counselor just thought I was a lunatic. They said to my parents, this kid is gone. Um, but as time went by, uh, so I stayed in rehab for six months eventually. I eventually calmed down and took it seriously, a bit more seriously. Um, but people didn't think that I would succeed. I think the, the su- success rate for someone trying to get clean is about 3% which is insanely low. I was going to say, first of all, six months. Six months, yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, I know. It was, it was a long time, but it, it was worth it. The thing is with, with rehab, if you go in for three weeks, you're just getting clean at that point. Right. The drugs are just leaving your system. But if you stay in for a few months, your head comes right. You right. learn some coping mechanisms. Um, and that's what I was learning throughout that time. And just giving myself some time to be in a safe space. Um, without having to worry about anything else besides just getting clean. So who pays for this? My parents. Your parents? It's not like the, the, they don't like provide? No, that's what I'm saying is I was completely useless growing up. I was a baby. I right. didn't take care. Like my parents sorted everything out for me. And it, probably to their detriment as well, where we had, we had such a, we loved each other so much um, that they just couldn't let go of me. Because I was at the point where they should have just let go of me and let me go on my own journey. Sink or swim, figure it out. Yeah. But I think this was pretty much the last chance. So I went to rehab and I stayed in for for eight, well, for six months. Um, 
and I started to come right. And uh, I mean, the counselors said, "You'll." The counselor kept saying to my parents, "If he leaves now, he's not going to stay clean." Right. But I, I said, "I want to leave. I'm ready." And when I got out, I relapsed within two months and started using drugs again for about a month and a half. And since then, I've been clean four years later. Yeah. And so, how did you come to the? I mean, you started a YouTube channel, which yeah. is, which is like taking off. Right, yeah. like you said, in the, what in the last month you've gotten how many subscribers? I think it's like sixty thousand, which it's it's not that big. In South Africa, the podcasting scene is not massive, um, so at the beginning, most of my audience was South African. Uh, it's not the same as in America. In, in America, um, the the cool thing about it though is, like I said, I don't interview celebrities. I interview people that are extremely interesting. People like yourself. Uh, I love talking to gang members. I love talking to. Uh, basically anyone with an interesting story, survival stories, um, stories like this. I talk to recovering addicts as well sometimes. Um, and I started the podcast and it did really well. I mean, it did really, really well. This, the first episode I ever did was with my dad sharing his story right. about what it was like to raise me as a drug addict um, and how that affected him and the family. The second podcast I did was with a, a gang member called Turner Adams, and he's one of South Africa's most famous gang members, um, partly because of the, the, the podcast, but before that he was in a few documentaries. And right. Is he, this the guy with all the tattoos? Yeah. Or is he the guy, because I saw one where the, the one where he's telling you. No, he's the guy with all the tattoos, okay. yeah. He, the book. I use that as a reference. Oh, okay. So everyone thinks he's the book now, but I just use it as a reference. <laughs> but in every comment with him in it, they think he's the book. So I'm not going to get into the story of the book. But anyway, so I, I interviewed him and the podcast, I think it was my first podcast I ever did. The, the actual podcast got 600,000 views. Nice. And I was like, oh my God, that's insane. I've been always wanted to do YouTube and like it's really something's happening here. And then I posted a clip on YouTube and it got, it's got like 1 million views. And that one went like insanely viral because of the way he spoke and certain things he said mm -hmm. just were hilarious. This guy's a murderer, right. right? And he spent 25 years in South Africa's most dangerous prison, Paulsmore Prison. Um, but he's a funny guy right. and he's entertaining and he's likable. Um, and think some of the things he said just went super viral. And like everyone that knows my podcast knows that video yeah. and knows the things he was saying because it was just, he's just such a funny guy. Um, but yeah, that relationship went a bit sour. Um, we, we worked quite a lot together and I think there was a situation. Is this the guy that wanted to kill you? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was mean, not supposed to say that? No, it, oh, does, yeah. it doesn't matter. But he, I don't think it was particularly his fault. He lives in the Cape Flats, which is one of the worst areas in South Africa. One right. of the high, it's the, I think it's one of the highest murder rates in the world per 100,000 people. And um, he comes from a bad place and he was doing all these interviews and people were looking at him online and in documentaries. And I think they thought he was super wealthy. So people started harassing him. Um, and they were, like, they were shattering his windows and I was getting calls from him saying, they're outside my house with guns and like, they're going to kill us. if you, Because they equate that, you, oh, you're on YouTube, you must have a lot of money. Basically, the truth yeah. is, no, it's not always somebody the case, else yeah. had a camera and, a, and an internet connection. Yeah, so they, they thought he was wealthy and I did pay him quite well, but um, he spends that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's not enough to last a lifetime. No, and um, that's just that, like, well, is he... Uh, a drug addict or drugs? And I don't want to get into that, oh, but okay. he did have a drug problem back right, in the day. Right, I'm, right. I don't want to speak about it now, yeah. but um, basically he his house got messed up 
and this was corroborated by someone else as well that he was working with him said that it went and his windows were smashed in um so he was trying to get money out of me and extort me for money um so he could pay the gangsters and he knows like he knows where my parents places um he's been to their house he's had lunch with my parents and uh he was saying like if you don't do this i'm gonna give these guys your address right um so i was shit scared about that for my parents safety obviously um but yeah i just ignore i turned my phone off i got a new number for right. a month yeah i turned my phone off and he it called down but i was getting calls at like 12 o'clock at night because his phone would break he would call me from other gang members phones um because his phone was broken yeah and then they would have my number and I would get phone calls at like 12 o'clock at night or two in the morning with someone just like breathing on the phone to intimidate me. Um, and it was a bad situation. He has apologized since then. Um, but I can't, I don't want to do work with him anymore. Because yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, no, it's too dangerous of a situation. I get that. The thing with working with gangs is you see like Ross Kemp and these guys do work with gangs, right? A lot of the time they have protection. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time they don't live in the places they're interviewing the people right. at. So I live there. So yeah. I can't get away from it. Yeah. So if something happens, they know where I live. Right. So it's very dangerous. And I, I, that's kind of why I stepped away from doing work with gangsters. Uh, I, I really find it interesting because there's so many different kinds of gangs, so many different reasons people join gangs. Um, and a lot of them have really interesting stories. So I love I love talking to people like that and, and interviewing them, but it's just, it just got too dangerous. Hmm. Well, you you have like a list. What's the next? What's next on your list? You have a, you you're prepared. Oh, I've, I've never done a podcast before, and I've probably waffled on here, but no, it's fine. I just thought I'd write a few things down. I think I've covered a lot of them, but um, I think uh, when, it, when, when I think probably to coming towards the end. Uh, like I said, I don't have a unique story. No, um, it's, it, it, it's good. And, and, and honestly, like, I mean, let's face it, like you've got like, you're coming up on a hundred thousand, you know, a hundred thousand subscribers. Mm-hmm. You only started six months ago, a year. No, it was about a year and a bit ago. Yeah. yeah. So like a year ago, you're at a hundred thousand subscribers. Like you're blowing up, like all the, the interviews are super are interesting. Like you're, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're taking off. So it's good to have this, like this mm-hmm. will be up and, you know, yeah, I think the, the thing he might be the South African Joe Rogan. That's why everyone keeps calling oh. me in South Africa. <laughs> but um, what, what do they call Danny? Danny's the the is he the no wait it, it is something like that. It's like the white is it like the something the yeah the Southern Joe Rogan or the but white trash. I I Joe kind Rogan of modeled my podcast after Joe Rogan. Oh yeah. The thing I like about his podcast is that. It doesn't matter how famous the person is. It doesn't matter how successful they are. It's all about the story. Yeah, yeah. I don't care who you are. Yeah. If you have a good story, that's all I care about. Um, and I think that's what makes a podcast interesting because a lot of the time, and I've noticed this since I've come to America, um, people with interesting stories, have they've all been told. Right. A thousand times. How many podcasts have you been on? Yeah, tons of them. How many podcasts has Mike Dowd been on? Oh, even more. You know? Yeah. So the, the thing with being in South Africa is, I've always wanted to come to America to do what I do or go to the UK or wherever. But the, the thing I like being about being in South Africa is that I find people that no one else has found. Um, and I'm telling stories that no one else has told. There may be a few articles on it or it's been online a little bit, but right. that's what I like about being in a place like South Africa is that you can be kind of 
the pioneer at what you're doing because there's there's a lot of podcasts and there's podcasts bigger than, a lot bigger than mine um but there's no one really doing what i'm doing in south africa um telling the kinds of stories that i'm telling and you have a captive audience like you have somebody that you have an audience that other people aren't getting to like not a lot of people are going to south africa to interview these guys where yeah you have to drive an hour or two here or there yeah um, i mean it's, it's talk about getting guests as well because in america everyone understands the deal I come on your podcast, I get exposure. Uh, right, right. It's like they don't understand that. Yeah. And you have to explain really hard why. They, like, this would be a great experience for you as well. If you got a book, come advertise yeah. it. And what are they thinking? No, pay me money. No, no? I, I often offer people money because if, and I don't make a lot of money. Yeah. But I like to pay certain people because if I interview someone from an underprivileged background, I don't think it's fair that I bring them on and get like a, a good viewership, like Turner Adams, right? The gang member, his podcast, I can't explain how big it was. Right. It was massive on every platform. And like, there's thousands of clips of it. It was like something just spread like wildfire. Right. How am I going to benefit like that and not give him anything? Right. It's easy. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the point is, is like, it's like to me, you know, like for, for instance, um, um, sorry. Uh, um, uh, Jeff Turner, right? Which is a counterfeiter that came on. Like he was like, "Hey, he was in the halfway." No, he was in the halfway house. He just got out of the halfway. I think I talked to him in the halfway house, and he was getting out. He was like, "Look, I got a buddy that told me to listen to your podcast. Um, I I would like to come on. I've got a good story." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I get it." And I said, "But he was in living in Texas. Is Texas right?" Texas, I think it's Texas. So he's like living in Texas. I could be wrong about Texas, but it's somewhere over there. So he's living in Texas. And, and I was like, okay, well, listen, if you can get yourself here and you can pay for your room and your flight and get here, then absolutely, I want you to come on the podcast. Mm. But I can't afford, like, like, it'd be different if I was making, like we talked about this, like if I was making $20,000 a month, yeah, I'll fly, people I'll in, fly yeah. in, I'll do this, we'll do that. But now it's like, no, no. You come, you pay for those things. You do that because I just can't afford to. I want to, I can't afford to. But like we were talking, like yeah. you're a lot of times you're going in your own pocket. I mean, I've spent so much money flying to America. Yeah, it was a 32 hour flight. I, but I'm not even talking about you flying. I'm talking about you yeah. bringing these guys on and paying them. And I get it's a benefit to, to you. Mm. but my, It's not a benefit to them, though. That's the difference. Right. But it can be a bit. But to me, like Jeff a Turner. A lot of time, yeah. Jeff Turner sold his, or, or he optioned his life rights. He came on this program. I got him on Danny's program. He got contacted by a producer and a screenplay writer. They came to him. They said, we want to talk to you. We've seen a couple of mm. your podcasts. They optioned his life rights, and they've written a screenplay, and they're now shopping it to be a movie. Like, yeah. that's that's the benefit to you. Can mm. I promise you that? Absolutely not. Now, But it's if, a possibility, yeah. Right. Now, if you're going to drive and you have no money, and you're going to drive here, and it's going to take a couple hours and a couple hours. But like, I might give you your gas money, but that's all I can do for you. Mm. So it's not like you know. Yeah. So th that that's the way I see it. Maybe someday, if I'm Joe Rogan and I'm getting millions of views, I don't think Joe Rogan probably pays people. Either. No, I don't think because Joe it, Rogan. You, does you either. have so much to benefit by going on there. That I, it's I, a, I mean, 11 million views an episode, no, roughly. I understand that. What I'm mm. saying is, if my podcast was making me. If I was making two or three thousand dollars on every podcast, I'd fly people in. Mm. I can't afford to fly people in. So I want you to come on the podcast. 
I want to hear your story. Maybe that story turns into something. There's no chance of you getting a benefit coming mm. on or with your story if you don't come here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's my that's my pitch is your only chance of having your story told and getting a large enough audience that you could end up benefiting from it is to come on the podcast. Mm. And so you have to get yourself here. I can't do everything for you. So yeah. I, I get it. I'm like, I, hear, I hear your point of view, but I also I do a different perspective. I, I think the thing in South Africa is as well, here I find people really want to do podcasts. Right. In South Africa, they don't really want right. to do people them. People want to be famous here. They, Th- that's why they're here, a lot of them. Yeah. If you're in this industry, you're here to be famous. Right. Um, in, in South Africa, I mean, a lot of the people I interview don't live in a nice house. You know, a, yeah. a lot of them live, some of them live on the streets. I've had homeless people on the podcast. Um, and there's no chance of them. A lot of the time I tell pretty normal stories, like a homeless guy, right? Comes on right. and tells his story, um, which I find very fascinating. But at the same time, that story is never going to get picked up and put in, you, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I, like I say, I can't afford to pay people. Right. But I'm doing it because I feel right. It feels right for me. Right. It's different here. I feel like there's more to gain by going on someone else's podcast. In South Africa, there isn't so much. There isn't people rushing to look for stories all the time. And that guy has got an interesting, let's make a movie about it. There isn't that in South Africa. Yeah. You might sell a few books if you have a book. If, but, yeah, but they have to write a book. And that's not going to happen. That's, yeah. Right. So um, I feel like it's, for me, in the place I live, it's right. And I also feel like um, there isn't that many guests. Right. So if someone does say no... There's not like five guys waiting in There's line. There's not five guys waiting in line. Um, it's like with me coming to America. I took a complete gamble. No one was replying to me when I was in South Africa. So I was like, I'm going to fly to America and then just call people, hope they answer when I get to America. Lucky, luckily they did. But uh, I spent the money traveling here. Um, How much is that? What's traveling here from South Africa? Like that's got to be a pretty penny. It's a few thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, then is ca- that, car rentals. Is that, that's round trip. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's not that bad, but I'm not making much money. I mean, I was going to say, it's not yeah. great. A um, couple, two, three thousand dollars. Like, that's that's a lot of money. I was scared to bring all my equipment. Um, so I bought a whole bunch of equipment here to have waited waiting for me. Um, I'm paying a lot of guests because they won't do it without it. And the thing is, I've flown all the way here. I'm not going to go home. <laughs> I'd rather pay someone than not get the interview, right. you know? Um so I'm in a weird position where I'm not a good businessman either. I was going to say. I'm you, not going to strong arm anyone. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a bit of a pushover in, in, certain, in certain aspects. But uh, it's, especially, I, guess, I can see that. Especially living in South Africa, though, it, it's, it's a different, I come from a different place. Yeah. You know, um, and the people I, that I'm interviewing come from a different place. So I'm just used to the way things are there. But in South Africa as well, when I pay someone, it's not the amount people want here. It's what? It's not the same amount as people want here. Right. People want a lot more money here. Because in South Africa, I can give someone a thousand rand, which is like a few hundred dollars. Right. Not even. It's it's not even. Here, a hundred dollars is like 1,600 rand. I got the math wrong there. But yeah, it, it basically, someone asked for a few hundred dollars here. That's a lot of money back home. Right. Back home, if someone asked for a few thousand rand, it's not that much money. But yeah, I've taken a risk and it's been amazing so far. I mean, I've spoken to, there's some crazy people in America. (laughs) 
There's some um, interesting people in America, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say that the population is, you know, what, 12 times as large? It's like 300, isn't it 300 million? 350 million. Jeez. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> um, and you, what was it? Uh, South Africa, it's like 50, 60 million, 50 million? 50, 60 million, 50 yeah. 50 to 60. Yeah. And mm. most, a lot of people don't speak great English. and So you're working with, to, to do what I do, you're working with a very small part of the population. And a lot of the time, I have to do a lot of research to find these people. Um, and then I have to go fetch them because a lot of the time they don't have cars. Right. Um, so I have to fetch them, bring them to the studio. I do all this stuff myself at the studio as well. Um, I don't have a guy behind the, the computer. Um, you don't have a Connor? No. So, oh, you gotta get Connor. No, nah, yeah. I need one, but it, it, I'm spending all the money on the production mm. that I can't hire anyone. Mm. Um, you need a credit card. I know. Credit card. I'm getting one. I tried to apply for one before I came to America because you can't rent a car with that one. Yeah. You need, you need a credit card. So, yeah, but I didn't get it in time. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into it. Listen, um, give me, give me your, your, your name, your date of birth, social security number. You'll make me another identity and I'll be I've good. Got it. I got you. Take, take care of it. Give me a good credit score. Absolutely. <laughs> the best. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, I think the main thing is I'm enjoying it and I'm meeting some awesome people. Uh, some not so awesome people as well. Yeah, yeah. There's like, some scumbags. Like here. today, I met this asshole, <laughs> <laughs> scam artist. <Yeah. laughs> no, I'm joking. Good times. Good times. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. Um, and the thing with me is, I want it to be everything is, has to be perfect. Right. Like I will never do anything subpar. And also, oh, the, that's that's not that's not our approach, is it, Connor? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, is I, we got I, a whole different thing going before on Before starting the podcast, I did so much research on the best microphones, the the best cameras. I never did video before the podcast. Yeah, and if you I look, know. the cameras aren't the best, but they're the best I could afford. Um, I, I know that because as soon as he walked in here, before you got here, he said, he looked at our mics and he goes, oh man, you've got to get my mics. You get, oh, and then he looked at the cameras. He's like, listen, if you're planning on upgrading. <laughs> fuck are you? Like. <laughs> immediately he's like you know everything was like bam bam i was like i'm proud of my little setup no it's a sick setup he's like you know these have a like a really bad echo i don't know if you've listened to your program no i i think i might have got the mic strong because I, I yeah i think i got the mic strong. these these are pretty good these are pretty good he's backpedaling now <laughs> i love them yeah these are the best where'd you get these if i yell like this yeah, can you hear an yeah. echo um yeah yeah but uh yeah I, i'm having fun and um, I am making some money, but I, I think I'm spending almost as much as I'm making. Well, how long are you staying in the United you know, Because you've been here a couple, like a week, over a week, right? We, we can change? How long you yeah, about, about a week, yeah. About a week. I'm staying here for five weeks. Okay. Mm. Feels like I've been here forever. Man, I've done. Imagine being able to just pick up and go and hang out in some other country for five weeks, like, you know? Yeah. Not, yeah. You've never left the state. Connor's never left the state. He's never been on a plane. I'm just joking. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> love it. But Listen, um, the first time that Jess was on an airplane was when she got on was on Con Air. You know what Con was Air? that his plane? Do you know what Con Air is? <laughs> you know what Con Air is? It's, it's the it's, the prison plane. Where is they, it really? They handcuff oh, you, the they put you on the on the plane. They call it Con Air. Okay, they put like you the on movie. The, yeah, yeah. It was the first time. That's pretty wild. With all the as you're getting on, there's like. 200 guys locked up and they put all the girls in the front row and all the guys are hey baby hey baby baby hey, hey. and she's just like this is ridiculous like, what, what have i got myself into 
Yeah. Come, come over here. Come over here. But, um... <laughs> Savages. Yeah, so and the thing with the podcast is I record everything separately. So the camera records the camera, the mics record to a soundboard, and then I have to sync it all up afterwards and then manually cut as people start talking and stop talking. Yeah. So, I mean, I've worked on editing podcasts because I've had to subtitle podcasts as well, but some people don't speak very well. Um, I had to type out like an hour worth of podcast. You know how many thousands of words that is? I've spent, I've spent 30 hours editing a freaking podcast. For wait, how long was the podcast? An hour. Hour and a half. You try and subtitle that though. No, an just, hour. Yeah. I just post it. Like we're just, we're just going to have to wing See, it. See, the thing with me is I'm like super OCD. There was, I, I did, I posted a podcast the other day, right? And I was overlaying some video footage. I was uh-huh. interviewing this guy and he gave me some stuff to put over it. And I overlaid some video footage and I cut the clip in the middle, right? And so when you resynced it, it was slightly off? No. Okay. No. But I cut, I, so it was like, a, it was a video with many clips <clears throat> in one video. And I left one frame of the next shot in. So when the, when the frame moved. There was a slight second. It was like, it was like a flash of it. I almost took the whole video down off YouTube. No. And. I get it because I've done that before where I've gone to, I've never, once it's uploaded, it's done. Yeah. I, l- listen, you should see, we had Mike Dowd. We did a podcast with Mike Dowd and Colby that didn't have it synced. So part of the video in multiple different chops, there's part when he flips to when it's on me and I'm going and then the and, and you can hear Mike Dow talking and then you can hear me. Then it chops up where you can tell like it's off by like I don't mean like a split second. Yeah. I mean it's off by a second. 10 seconds. Yeah. Where it's a completely different conversation. <laughs> and this is multiple spot. That video got 150,000 views. <laughs> I was like this is I didn't even watch it. I didn't even watch it until I was checking the comments. Mm. And it's like a week later, I read a comment and the comment was like Bro, honestly, like that's a great interview, but the audio is slightly out of sync. I don't, but Matt, have you watched this video? Like, mm-hmm. you know that you're what some of the some of the audio is way off, and I was like, no. And I started watching, and I was like, oh my god! This this happened to a podcast that I watch, and what I did was I got both of the, the, the I got a podcast up on one screen and the same podcast up on another screen, and I paused it where the sync was on the one and let the other one play. And then when that one got to the right point, I pressed play so that the audio matched up from the two different laptops. <laughs> listen, listen, I, he was telling me this. I forgot about this. Um, what's his name? Tim McBride. Tim McBride. Yeah. Tim McBride. I had him up in the studio. So what a cowboy. Yeah. I had him upstairs in the uh, studio and I put him on the stool and said, okay, tell your story. And then I left, came back an hour later. <laughs> I had never started recording. I let him go an hour. Man, I've never seen, you know, I'm, so I'm a recovering drug addict, like I, I've said. Right. I don't hang around people that use drugs anymore. Because right. that's a big part of staying clean, is that you need to change the places you go and the people you see, right? right? Um, and I'm fine now. I go out, I've been to festivals again, um, but I went to Tim's house. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, little bit of weed oh Ugh. my god <clears throat> when i got home i opened my bags and it smelled like a freaking grow room yeah 
And the whole, it was amazing interview. It was so entertaining. But geez, that guy he, smokes a lot of weed. And we did it at his house. So he had no holds barred. He was just like going off. Yeah, li- listen, he, he's told his story so many times. Like even when I went up there, I was like, oh God, Tim, I'm so sorry. And I explained what happened. He goes, wow, that's. He's like, just hit play, man. It's fine. Just make sure you hit record this time. I'll do it again. I go, oh man, I'm so sorry. He's like, eh, it's fine. I hit it. Came back two hours later. He was just finishing up, and it was just like this is insane. And I've I've seen like he, I interviewed him. He did his whole spiel. He did his spiel upstairs. He did it with Boziak. I've seen him. He has his story down. He tells it. Almost, he gets the numbers wrong sometimes, but that's that's all I noticed. Yeah, what well, he keeps going that he's mm. it, he he definitely he's the, my podcast. He was so high that like you have no idea. He was he didn't put the joint down the whole time, and he had the vape pen on. And he was like, have you, do you guys have these in South Africa? And he like put in these drops and he was like, these, this is the most potent you can get. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the, the, with the joint and the fucking thing. Yeah. And he's hitting the fucking vape pen on the other side. And he was just like <laughs> coughing the whole time. But it was so funny. It was such a good interview. Um, but Jesus, he was high. He was, I, I don't think I've ever seen someone that high in my life. Yeah, his his uh, his podcast definitely got like limited monetization on on YouTube for me. Yeah, yeah, it did. It was good. It was nice and long, but yeah, you can't. You know, he's talking very specifically about drugs, mm. so you know, YouTube's got an issue with that. So. Well, they shouldn't have any issue with this podcast. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You, you can <clears throat> monitor. Do you when you upload? Do you do you verify it yourself? So you, they allow you to say whether yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I get to do that, which obviously at this point, they don't believe anything I say. Since then, they've never demonetized a video of mine. Since what? This. Since they gave me that feature. Oh, no, I, I do it. And they still demonetize. Then we have to go back. and it'll, they'll, they'll do the limited monetization. So we go back and we say, hey, we want a manual it. review. Right. They go back and they look at it. And probably out of every... Probably 80% of them get monetized, full monetization. The problem is the ones that don't, you can never tell why. You're like, why? Mm. Like, this makes no sense. This guy's mm. talking about drugs and murder. And yeah. you let that one go. This one, it, they barely mention you See, know, I've, anything. I've rated mine so accurately because I just demonetize a video if I know it's going to get demonetized because I want the, the trust in the AI or whoever's reviewing whatever. Um, so I've got like, they never demonetize anything of mine unless I demonetize it now. Um, and I talks about some wild stuff. I mean, um, but yeah, I think coming towards the end. Are you ready to go? I think, yeah, I've, I've got like a four hour drive just now. This <laughs> <laughs> is the second time you said coming to the end. I'm assuming that means let's wrap it up. No. Okay. Yeah, sorry. But I think, uh, well, I just think the, the, the thing is my story is not no, that long. you're played out. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm tapped out, man. I gotten everything out of you I can get. Well, there's some other stuff. The thing, the thing that I want to just convey is that you know, like I say, my story isn't common. I mean, it's very common. Right. And uh, often when you're in a position like I was in, it feels like you cannot get out of it. And I'm sure you went through the same thing. You know, you were so deep in the hole you were in. Yeah. That it was just like, how do I get out of this? And you just keep getting worse and worse because... I mean, where do you go from there? Yeah. You know, what, how do you turn it around from the hole you've dug? I'm writing a story right now where this chick is so deep in the hole, she just can't get out but to try and keep going until it just collapses on her. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. Because I write true crime, so I still yeah, I know, I write I know. stories. Yeah. I still write stuff. 
That's 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 how I, I think I think it was one of the reasons I think I saw when I was doing research. You know, I saw you. I mean, you, you said you've done like seven books, eh? Seven, eight, like eight books. Yeah, I've written a bunch of books. And yeah. they sell well. Seven or eight. I mean, they pay my car payment, my insurance, and my gas. Like you know, but I don't drive that much. Mm. Um, but yeah, they do okay. Like it's like probably a year and a half ago they were doing a little bit better. Like it's it's up and down, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a little chunk. Like I I would miss it. Um, if it didn't come in and mm-hmm. the big thing is like selling the options and then, you know, the fact that they're being turned into, some of them are being turned into, um, documentaries and, and that sort of thing. So when that takes off, I'm assuming it's going to take off. Then I think that's a, you know, th- it's a process. It's a process. When's the documentary going to come out? Do you think? I mean, I, I'm like, all right, have, they even I got, sta- have they started for me? I got two documentaries being pitched to Netflix. You know, one of them's already with a production company that has already both production companies have made multiple documentaries for Netflix. And actually the same other one too, the one in the UK is all same thing. Um, and we're going to uh, meet some people, a production company where me where two of my subjects, Jess being one of them and another guy, uh, we're going to meet the production company in in a few days, for, uh, well, Jeez, in next week. So, so cool. yeah, it's like it's all in process mm-hmm. of happening. Um, but yeah, so you when know, I was it's exciting, when so. I was growing up, I always thought my story was so interesting uh, until you asked me to be on the podcast. Well, and then you started thinking about and it. And then I was what? like, because you, you know, you always go like, oh, I would love to be on like Joe Rogan or like a big right. podcast, right? And like share my story because I'm so interesting. Yeah. And then I was <laughs> you're like, and then I started, I? Think, I started thinking about it. I was like, I'm really not that interesting. I mean, it does some wild shit, but who hasn't? Yeah. Um, but uh, what I was saying was that, like, if you get to the kind of point that I got to or you got to, uh, maybe in my, it's a bit different with, with drugs. Yeah, yeah. But the, or if, even if you have a family member that's going through that, there's nothing you can do for an addict. Right. There's nothing you can do but let them play it out. Right. Um, and I think in my case my parents held on to me for so long that it was probably worse for me in the end and worse for them. Right. So like if you have family members that are going through what I went through or something similar, um, you can be there to help and support if they need it, but you can't try and fix it. Right. Because you will never fix an addict. The addict has to decide. With me, my dad said to me, do you want to go to rehab? And I said, yes. You'll never be able to get someone to recover if you force them to recover. Um, but uh, when the when the opportunity presents itself, take it. All right. And uh, for for me, a lot of people don't like going to rehab. For me, it was like the best thing I ever did because it gave me time to get out of the environment I was in, into a safe space, clear my head, get sober. Um, and then by the time you get into the real world, you have a bit of time on you clean time uh and you can make decisions more clearly even though i did slip up it was uh it was the best thing i ever did was going away for six months even though it seemed long i mean at that point it was a big portion of my life um but yeah it was worth it and the thing i also want to say is family members go through so much you don't realize that as an addict what you put your family members through um because you don't really care right the only thing i cared about was getting my drugs and uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the the thing I feel the worst about is what you put your family members through. Because not only are you ruining your life, you're ruining everyone else's around you. What is you know you've never said the name of the podcast? Oh yeah, it's the Wide Awake Podcast, and it's only on YouTube at the moment. Why didn't you use your name? Just 
You just Joshua Rubin. Yeah. A lot, you know, the funny thing is a lot of people think that it's the Wide Awake podcast because it's like a woke thing or whatever, but it's because I did a lot of cocaine. Oh. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't think, think that at it all. Was, it was like part of the it. reason. It was because I was always awake because I was always on drugs. And th- right. this guy said to me, it was my name on Instagram, is Josh Wide Awake as well. And this, guy's, this guy once said to me, so I had like a funny username, and he's, you should change your username. And he just gave me a few options. He said, this is potential. And I was like, oh, I like Josh Wide Awake for some, I don't know why. This is, Related with like, I was always wide awake using drugs. Right. So that's how it started. It's not like a woke thing. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, and it, it's on YouTube, Instagram. Or does you also play them on Instagram? The podcast play, is only on YouTube. Okay. The clips go everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You don't put them on. Uh, you don't. You don't put. You don't pull the audio and put it on. I'm starting to. Oh yeah. The yeah. thing with me is, I always wanted to be a YouTuber. Yeah, yeah. I love oh. YouTube. I love. I, I'm a visual person. I love to watch a podcast. I don't like right. to listen to someone. I want to watch them. I want to yeah, like, no. see who the person is. And a lot of the people that I interact with are so interesting to look at yeah. and expressive that it just doesn't come over the same in, in audio. So it's, right. So what do you think about what, what about the, the walls here? You think I should strip it? I could go with the red, you think? I think that, you the know dark that, red, like a dark. Yeah, I think red, yeah. Yeah, I got to do something. How do you feel about that? You like red? She says she likes red, but not <clears> on the wall. She likes red. I heard, that's what I heard. I did, you, did you paint these paintings? Yeah, these are like what they're called modified screen prints. And so they're, you know, they're all different. Like the part, part of it is a screen print. And then part of it, of course, you know, I painted. I mean, you could obviously look that, like they're all. They're awesome though. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty, like I got all kinds. Of, these, are, these are con men or con women, you know. See Boziak? Yeah, that's what I want to say. That guy looks familiar. Yeah, the, the Tinder swindler. Look, Who's on, that? On um, you know, honestly, I it was a, a modified screen print that I did of a picture that I found on the internet. And I played with it and played with it and ran it through some filters and got a screen print of it. You know, the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. My my friend messaged the Tinder swindler after the documentary came out. Oh yeah, what did he want? Are you he messaged? Was he trying to get him to come on? A no, podcast? my friend messaged. Uh, it was a girl messaged him. I think she just said "fuck you," basically, oh. and he replied. It was, like, it was so. <laughs> Well, you know, he does podcasts and stuff. What a wild make, guy that makes, guy is there. Yeah, what, a, what a fucking jackass. Hey, uh, <laughs> appreciate, you, uh, appreciate you guys watching. And if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Uh, leave me a comment in the comment section and I will respond to about 80, 90% of the comments if they're worthy. Um, also, uh, in the description, uh, I got Patreon. Uh, I've got an Etsy account, although Colby keeps forgetting to put it in there. Um, also, uh, I have, uh, what else, what else, what else? My email's in the description and I have tons of, uh, I have books and, uh, all kinds of stuff that you can buy and I really appreciate it and I appreciate you guys supporting the channel. Thank you very much. See ya.